You are listening to the In Context Podcast. Hello and welcome to the In Context Podcast. This episode will be focusing on being a father to the fatherless. Uh, The need for uh, mentors, godly influences and role models in the lives of young men and boys who are being raised in fatherless families. We'll look at uh, one particular case of Ben Falaja, uh, a former amateur boxer uh, and fatherless young man who grew up in a council estate in the 90s who was being mentored and supported by uh, Eric Young, who is a retired policeman and former professional footballer. We hope that this will give you an insight into some of the struggles that young men and boys face while being raised into a fatherless family. But what we're also hoping to do is encourage godly men to to take a stand and to stand up in the church and help support these young men who are desperate for role models in their life. I hope you enjoy. So growing up, obviously, um, 90s, um, you know, just like most council estates, really, um, people pinching cars and and all that type of stuff, Uh, you know, uh, local people selling drugs on the street, families, a lot of families, um, well-known families, big families, um, living on the estate and all the brothers and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, growing up for me, I think I was one of, it was my sister, my cousin, and then only another one of a lad um, who was mixed race living on um, the the estate. So yeah, so growing up on the estate was quite, uh, well, I was a minority, but it was, it was tough. I mean, my mum brought me and my sister up um, my dad didn't live with us, so uh, which is even strange. It was all my mum was white, um, so yeah, didn't have any like role models, but like uh, of color really. Um, so it was hard. It was tough, yeah. But you you just try to survive, you know. I think that growing up and that people want to pick out your your flaws, don't you? And so you know if you. If you're scruffy or if you're black or if you're overweight or whatever it is, um, kids and that, the, you, they try and put you down and whatever. And you know, I was, I was, uh, I was black, so we used to get a lot of name calling, um, even off men. I remember our mum, like, our mum's quiet, she's about four foot. Um, and when she moved onto the estate, one of the things my auntie said to me was, Oh, that's when she became tough. Um, because of some of the abuse that we got as, as kids off. Uh, so, like, say, if we were playing Knocking Knocking Yard or whatever, so there'd be me, two other lads, both white, I'd knock on the door and we'd run off. And then it'd be like, oh, was that black lad, this, you know, and then it'd be the, the name and that, and then our mum would go around, you know. So, yeah, but it was it was, it was was hard, it was tough. Um, you know, I was always fighting because of um, people calling me names and what have you. But you just sort of... Did what you did as well, but I grew up with a lot of anger because of that, and I think um, a lot of that was, you know, blame me dad not being around. Um, I think me being of of colour was one thing, but then also not having like a dad to to sort of be there and and, and uh, sort of go around and, and say, listen, you know, this has gone on. Um, it made it made me become thinking how I had to be a man at an earlier age than than what um, you know many other people probably. Um, would have had to do. Yeah, so you felt the need to to grow up quick and yeah, trying to be a man with a kid's mind and a kid's body. It's it's tough growing up without a dad. Never mind uh, wherever you live, but never mind being a, a minority living on a tough council estate where you were 
up for bullying and 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 and, and racism and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it made you tough. It made you aggressive. So how did you channel that aggression? Um, well, like I said, at first it was like anyone who'd look at me, it'd be like, and this is what happened. Like in my head, I was thinking people were looking at me because I was black, and sometimes they probably weren't. But mm. in my head, it was like, um, yep, they're looking at me because I'm black. Right, who are you looking at? So I was always trying to get them on the back foot. Um, because when you were talking, when you were saying earlier about uh, role models, I remember going in in my in primary school. There was one other black lad, and he was the, um, you know, he sort of ran the school, and he was, he was a black lad. And I remember thinking, like, no one ever gave him any chew because he had this mad respect. You know, everyone didn't really go near him or just call him names or whatever because he was. Uh, he had this respect because he could handle himself. So I remember thinking, you know, if I become like him, and I can because he, you know, he's the same colour as me, you know, life would be easier. So, you know, I, I, anger was always there. It was there, I'd be walking around with a frown. Um, and uh, I'd, uh, <laughs> wife's just walked in there. I forgot to tell her I was doing this. I forgot to tell her I was doing this. <laughs> All right, babe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm on the thing with Ian, podcast thing. All right. Um, so, so yeah, so, so yeah, it was hard, it was tough. So then I just like to say, I, got, I was angry all the time, fighting all the time. Um, and, and then obviously I started getting into boxing when I, I got a little bit older. But before then, I was, because a lot of the, the older lads who was on the estates, once I started to get a reputation and that, I started like wanting to be like them, selling drugs, doing stuff like that. And, uh, Started taking drugs, really got got addicted, um, and just got pulled into the crowd and made a bit of a name for myself, and and, and life was a bit easier, I guess. And then um, after about when I got about seven, came about seventeen, I just I just did a law all time law. Um, the only time I heard about Jesus when the pastor used to come into school and talk about God and that, and when he used to pray, I used to believe it, and he used to talk about the Good Samaritan. And about we should help each other, people who aren't like us and stuff like that. But when I go back to my council estate, it wasn't like that. It was like, you know, do it, do a sort of die. Um, and then I was fortunate walking into a boxing gym one day um, to try and I wanted to get off drugs and that. So I went in, started punching the bag, and my um, coach uh, uh, just said, Oh, you know, stick at it and that, you, you know, you could maybe do well. So I just, just kept going and, um, and that was it. And at that time, I just started praying as well to God, just saying, you know, I was sick of my life. Wanted to be different, but I didn't know how to change. Wanted to not be like the other lads that like I sort of looked up to. Um, I just cried out to God, really. And he he uh, he heard my prayer. And there was a, a Christian at the boxing gym who, who I ended up uh, getting to know, and then ended up going to church and, and then becoming a Christian. So you you did well at your boxing, didn't you? You channeled that aggression. You, you not only did you become a Christian, but uh, you boxed for England and did you box for Great Britain as well? Yeah, no, I boxed, I boxed for England, yeah. So, um, yeah, really, it was a bit strange because I, I come to the game late when you're thinking about boxing-wise. I came at 17. But, you know, I had, like you say, challenging challenge all that, like... Uh, I don't know, like that anger and stuff. It was, it was, it was good for me, and, and it taught me a lot about myself because um, I remember one fight when I went in, 
and uh, my thing I was like quite you know I was quite good at moving and, and, and boxing uh, quick feet and all that but I remember one time I was boxing this lad and he was uh, he could hit hard and that and every time I used to get angry and I used to think right you're getting it now I used to get beat so I used to over time the anger was like it can it was it was a bit of a, a uh, something that needed to be sort of harnessed rather than just all right yeah you know go um so I did did all right yeah so I ended up boxing for England went to Ireland uh travel the world um box some of the lads who are boxing now Anthony Fowler James Metcalf um and and Glenn Forty when he was about yeah and, and got to a good good level you know uh, number I don't know one point number three in 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 England number four in Britain um and yeah, it was it was it was a I was blessed really to be able to to to, to have that career um, that I had. Discipleship for both of us, I think, coming from our backgrounds, was quite a struggle because when we share with people, uh, a lot of them didn't understand not just our temptations, but our we were quite often led by emotion, uh, like you say, anger. I, I grew up with a lot of fear, and uh, I didn't really have anyone to mentor me or help me until I met a guy called called Graham Seed, and then uh, I met you shortly after afterwards. And uh, yeah, so so we had, uh, we weren't that much, I was about 10 years or so age yeah. between us. And yeah. uh, I come from a similar background. So we had more in common than I suppose yeah. you and Eric did, but you and Eric seemed to hit it off yeah. quite well. So, but, he had nothing to do with drugs. He, he just retired as a cop. He was a policeman. He, he was white. <laughs> so how come used to uh, who on paper probably would be the furthest away from being friends? You end up becoming really good friends, haven't you? How, how did that friendship yeah. develop then? Definitely, all right, Eric. Whoever wants to jump in. Go on, Eric. I'll let you. I'll let you. Uh... Well, I would say like with Ben <laughs> and a lot of lads like that through football. You, you meet a lot of lads, you play with a lot of lads from a similar background. Mm. I mean, I'm from a council estate. Mm. You know, we never had it. We never had any money growing up, never had nothing. Mm. Um, but the characters I met in football were very much like the characters I dealt with in the police, you know, the young offenders and that kind of people. And uh, in football, you know, you know, your Gaza types, if it wasn't for football, they may have ended up in that kind of life. So... I could banter on with a lot of people like that when I was in the job in the police, you know, and I used to, well, you know, so it, 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 you came across so many from broken homes and you could see they were crying out for a father figure. There was no men in their lives. And uh, so in the police, I started to try and just speak to these lads on a, a normal one-to-one -one basis and just try to get through to them as a, like a father figure. Why would why were they doing what they were doing? That kind of thing. So meeting Ben, it just sort of uh, carried on from there. And uh, Ben, as you know, he needs telling a few times. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I thought, what the heck am I doing here? You know, and, you know. But it, you know, he, he listened, and and it was good because it just we bounced off one another. You can't, you just can't. Make that happen. It just happens. Well, you both so, had, a, had a similar love for sport, don't you? You're both very sporty. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your your upbringing then with football. Well, right from a kid, I was 
I was kicking a football about. I loved it. And uh, as I say, on a council estate, now you've got to bear in mind when I grew up, it was 50s and 60s. Friends mm-hmm. there was the 90s. Where I grew up, I knew everybody in the street. Everybody had a mother and father there. And everybody was in work. Mainly the mothers were housewives, so there was always a, someone at home. And life was different in that way. I had a great childhood. And we were taught sort of standards, morals, how to behave. I went to Roman Catholic school, so we got all the biblical teaching and background, went to church every Sunday, generally good people. Um, so, I mean, I was playing football, and eventually I was playing for Stockton boys and... Hey, Renick, um, I, I haven't ever asked you this. Was it, you know, on your estate then, was there any um, black lads on your, like, you knew were growing up? No, there was no black people, no. But you're going on about racism then. I heard you talking earlier. You used to take the mickey out of somebody who was overweight. So we say fat people. Yeah. Well, I like ginger hair. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Oh, you, <laughs> you think you're thought you thought you'd do it. You would have got it. So, like, you know, you all have a little bit of, you know, I was different to a lot of lads in that respect. So, you know, you have to cope with that as well. But I went 15, you know, I, I got into the England schoolboys. And the team was always Manchester United. And, uh, of course, when they offered to come to go there, well, you snap it up, don't you? Mm-hmm. So, what was it like then in in Manchester? Uh, your dream come true was it? Uh, was it as glamorous as you thought it was going to be? Uh, getting signed for Man United? Oh well, I could talk all night about that, but I'll try and keep it brief. But just <laughs> you've got to remember, just before I left home, a fifteen-year-old, remember, yeah. it's like going into foster care. You go into digs, mm-hmm. and but you have this sort of idealistic idea in your head don't you but my sister was only 23 and just died at that time mm. just before I left and it, she'd had a kidney removed when she was 11 years old so when I grew up it was an eight year age gap when I grew up she was always taking medication but she went on to be a school teacher was she was teaching art at a local school and uh, sometimes she wouldn't be able to sleep she'd get up in the night my mother would get up with her and she'd sleep on the settee downstairs and we'd get up to school and this particular morning, I was going to school and I said, oh, I'll be quiet, Dawn, the call. She's asleep on the sofa. And I looked back, saw her with her back to me, laid on the sofa asleep. And that day at school, I was called out of class and told she died. So I'm stood at a graveside watching her being buried as I'm just about to leave home to go to Manchester and start a professional career with Manchester United. But I had those thoughts in my head of what's this all about, this life, you know? So I went to Manchester and I was homesick, very homesick, as most kids are when you go away. We were, I was apprentice at first, and you, but it was brilliant, the football side of it. But away from football, it was, it was horrible. Just didn't like it at all. So I had to cope with that. And of course, by the time I was 16, my dad, who was only 47, he took ill and very quickly he died. And I was back at the same graveside watching the coffin, coffin being loaded into the same grave where Dawn was. And you don't realise at the time then, but things were happening in my head where football was everything to me. But what was going on was saying, it's not a matter of life and death football, as Bill Shanky said. I was looking at it in, in reality, thinking, what's this life all about, you know? So it was difficult when I went away and uh, I had to cope with all that. My mother, of course, was left on her own trying to cope. And she never, you know, she had to go and get a full-time job. So as, as a, in my formative years, I had all these heavy things to deal with when I should have been 
sort of being a bit happy, go lucky and enjoying life. But there was all this going on. Talk about having to grow up quickly. But I, I had no father figure as well. Mm. He was very close with me, mentoring me and talking football at length. And I missed that because you, when you, you don't realise, but you're trying to, like a kid, he's doing something. You say, was that good, dad? Was that good, dad? You know, wanting that affirmation all the time. Of course, he wasn't there, and I knew how proud he was of me being there. And uh, so I had to cope with that. I made a lot of mistakes, but I had to learn from my mistakes. It was tough. And I don't know. I say I could talk at length. I don't know where you want me to go with that. Yeah. Again, it's it's just interesting to to hear you speak about fatherlessness comes from lots of reasons. Doesn't yeah. it automatically we think of a father leaving the children, which happens in a lot of cases, but death, imprisonment, uh, the wife leaving the husband, kids are without fathers for, for lots of reasons. So I think it's, again, it's, it's interesting to hear. Uh, it, it, I think it's always painful, but it affects you in different ways. When we were growing up, you never heard of people divorcing. It was, wasn't an acceptable thing to do. It was only film stars you'd hear of splitting up. So it was a different world then. Yeah. You know, whereas today, if it's tough, people think, oh, I'll just split up. But then you got on with it, you got over it. And I just often think, well, how's, how much were marriages strengthened by going through that rather than quitting up, quitting at the first hurdle kind of thing that, that seems to happen today? Mm. So, so on first sight, you, you, you looked at the two years, but and you'd probably think there's not much in common there between a retired copper and uh, an ex-drug taker, but quite sim- a lot of similarities growing up. Both loved your sport, both uh, having to deal with not having a father around to guide you uh, and direct you. So how did you uh, then move on from football into the career that you had? Because it, you too have been around the world because of the sport, haven't you? Yeah, well... You know, I won't go into the length, but I was quite disillusioned with the football. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a lot of changes of managers at the time because Matt Busby was the manager when I first joined them. They just won the European Cup. So we then had a succession of different managers, which is like when after Alex Ferguson retired, the same things happened there. And see the similarities in the And your progress is halted because a new man comes in, wants to bring other people in. And I went on to play for the England under-19s and uh, I was starting to get in the squad with manager Frank O'Farrell. Then the opportunity went to go on loan somewhere and he said to go there, come back and uh, get the experience. But at the moment, we're struggling a little bit and I can't afford to experiment, but you're very much part of my future plans. So I went on loan to a club for two months and in the first two weeks, O'Farrell was sacked and Tommy Doherty took over. My career was flipped upside down. Anyway, the long and the short of it was I was, my contract was coming up and I'd, I'd even asked to leave the club because I didn't like the way I was being treated. So I asked to leave. And uh, I then decided that if I wasn't going to play for United, I was going to take another, another step elsewhere and I was thinking of doing PE teaching. And I was lined up to do that. But then something else came up. It was a course, it was a course in recreation management, sports centre management. And that was part-time. And I'd had an offer 
just to play with a local club, Darlington. So I thought, well, I'll get a wage coming in playing for Darlington and I'll just concentrate on doing this course, thinking of a, a way to get out of the game. Um, and I ended up doing four years at Darlington. <clears throat> and then when I was planning to get married, I decided to uh, I turned the contract offer down and quit. Went to Whitby Town as a joint coach with a lad I knew and um, got a job working for KP Foods. Crisps and nuts selling things like that. Thinking, oh, I'll just get a job and play football as long as I'm playing football. But um, it wasn't long. It hit me like a train, the job I was doing, how much I miss football. And I could have still been playing pro. I know that. Will imagine come to uh, Whitby. You know, he went on to manage Mid Middlesbrough and an ex-player at Middlesbrough. And he said to me at Whitby, he said, Eric, you should still be playing pro. And I knew that. Anyway, the long shot was I got an offer to go to Australia as a player coach. So I decided to go for it. And me and my wife went over there. And then we came back after four years after getting residency. She was pregnant and we came back. And then I was in the same position again. What work was I going to do? And the end of it, chance come to go into the place, applied for it. Really deep down thinking, this is not me. But getting married and uh, <laughs> the responsibilities. And the next thing you know, I'm at training school with this big hat on my head, playing like chocolate soldiers, marching around, thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> but uh, it turned out to be a good, secure job. It was different. You're out and about, and uh, persevered with it. Eric, checking you to checking you to caught me. <laughs> if you'd have chased me, you wouldn't have caught you, me. No, you you'd be the I one. You'd be like all the others. Were like it's like a turn a turnstile at the uh, police station. In in one way, out the next, back in you, again. You wouldn't again. have caught me over them fences. If I was jumping them fences, you wouldn't have caught me. <laughs> I know I've said fact you know. He'd have caught me. Have you seen <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Hot Fuzz? All right, that copper who goes through yeah, the fences. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, please. And I, I when I retired from the police, was retiring, the end of my career, I started doing football with kids on the streets. Yeah. You know, sick of chasing them around. So I started rounding them up and organising football matches for them, and it was working. And the kids were all saying, oh, I'd rather do this and hang around the streets. You know, we're getting the ones we were always chasing, playing football, and it was good. And I thought, well, that's worthwhile, you know, because it's... And I wondered if I'd carry on doing something like that when I retired in some capacity. But the last thing I wanted to do, I wanted to get far away from play stuff as I could. Hmm. And as you know, I ended up going into the prison ministry, <laughs> meeting Ben, and thinking, what... <laughs> Am I doing? I want to get away from people like this. And how, how did you find that, Eric? Because, uh, yeah, that's when the three of us met. We were working for uh, Sown Seeds Prison Ministry. We were going into uh, yeah. different young offenders and the adult prisons and flipping heck, mate. Like, I was just sitting there about Ben, you walking into the prison with your phone on and it rang. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About 20 prisoners wanting to dive on you for the phone. I know, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't even, I didn't realise, did I? And you were like, Ben, you can't, you can't have your phone in here. It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I um, what was it? What was I going to say there? It's funny how to get involved. Yeah, that was it. I could have gone in with a Christian ministry yeah. that offered me a job, 
said, any time, just you can come and join us. We'll give you your own office. You organise things. But they were dealing with kids from the age of 7 to 14 doing soccer schools, and they'd go abroad to do things as well. But they were generally church kids, all nice kids. And I thought, well, really, the ones you want to be trying to get hold of are the 14 to 17-year-olds who start to go off the way, you know. And So it wasn't really attractive to me. So the chance to go into the prisons and start doing a bit of football with the kids in there seemed worthwhile. You know, trying to teach them the, the skills you have, you need for sport, are the same skills you need in life, really. It's, you know, trying to pass it's, that on. It's funny because me and Ben were were working in the prison ministry, but we were still pretty new Christians. I got saved in two thousand and three, so I think I'd only been a Christian for four years. Uh, you were only a new Christian. Were you saved around a similar time, Ben? Or were you later? Oh, a bit after later, the new year. Uh, when did we meet? It'd have been about 2006. Yeah, so I'd, I'd uh, maybe, yeah, so yeah, about 2006, 2007, I think. Yeah. So again, like both brand new Christians. So we, we were out preaching the gospel with these uh, offenders and, and, and prisoners and people in the community, but we were still struggling with our own uh, issues. Uh, dealing with some of the pain from the past, but also still struggling with various sins and addictions. And yeah, it was, <laughs> I look back, it was mental, wasn't it? It was brilliant. But I think oh, yeah. from playing football with these offenders in the prison, then remember when we were doing that outreach with the jiu-jitsu and then, then the, yeah, the instructor started choking that lad out from Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, uh, I, think he's, I think he's had enough now. I think he's had enough. And like he started fitting on the floor. And <laughs> it was, you know, like when you think, I need to do something here, but I don't want to because he might batter me as well. <laughs> looked at me, he said he's choking, he's not going to let go. I said, I know. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah oh. it was, uh, I was, what, what was I thinking of there? I was, uh, there was too many stories. It was, uh, it was good. It was, it was, that yeah, was, uh, it was, yeah, like I, I was going boxing and news had come, babysit me to make sure I wasn't getting into, you know, and all good and stuff like that. And, you know, so that was that for you. Well, explain because I remember there was one night you were at the Reebok Arena in Bolton fighting on a Ricky Atten show and you rang me and said, You're going to have to get yourself down here. So I rang Eric, I said, Do you fancy a trip to see Ben? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I, like, you know, that was, that was it. I mean, um, it was, I was obviously, Boxing, getting to a certain high level, you get a lot, you know, attention and that, and there's a lot of ego that comes with it, and you know, you go into shows and there's ring girls and, and that type of stuff, and um, you have to be in the training camp for weeks and that, you know, and you're just constantly training, 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 diet and making weight, cutting weight, yeah. um, and then the next thing, you know, you're building up this big, big sort of event, this fight, um, and. You know, you just, just sometimes it's, it's tough. I remember that man I met Nigel Bentley said to me, you know, boxing's not for a Christian. And he, he, he opened up about when he was boxing and how, you know, women had turned up at his his door and, and, and you know, he was married and, and loads, of, loads of stuff like that. And, you know, that's why a lot of the time I'd, I'd ring, take someone with me, yourself, Tony or, or Eric, I'd ring you and say, listen, you need to come here because it was just there, you know what I mean? It was an atmosphere. Um, and a lot of the boxers weren't Christians. Um, so I used to take my Bible, I used to be reading my Bible. 
but it's just I don't know, just the atmosphere. It was it was tough. It was tough. But again, having like Severic um, there and, and yourself, you know, who are Christians, also with a similar background, um, and and faced, you know, uh, you know, in the sport environment, surrounded by non-Christians, it, you know, it was easy when we were, for me like it was easy working. It wasn't easy, but in the prison ministries, because you were surrounded by Christians. But when you when you're not and you're put into a, an arena where you, you're the Christian and, and it's a bit early. And I remember, you know, that time when that reporter asked me when I was doing an interview and I just want to say, I was just saying, I want to thank God. And he was like, yeah, you know what I mean? People like looking at me as if I was odd and I probably was a bit odd, but, um, you know, it was, it was tough. It was tough. You know, you know, there's, you still had them battles. I still had them battles about, I wanted to go out and drink. Then I'd go out in, in, in Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough's only a short place. So when you're in the Gazette nearly every, you know, month, because you, you're doing, you're achieving these things and you're tipped to go to the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games, you know, everyone wants a little piece of you, don't they? Do you know what I mean? I don't know what it's like for you, but everyone's like, you know, everyone's your best mate and that. And you're going to the uh, pubs or restaurants and people are like, all oh, right, yeah. And it does sort of feed into you. But at the time, I to keep me sort of grounded, having the likes of yourself and Eric around me, um, you know, just kept me sort of, you know, straight. Um, so, you know, that's, that's part of having that that sort of fellowship and that discipleship, isn't it? Well, just yeah, saying, sorry, in the football world, it's the same. You know, you just everybody wants to be your pal, mm. and you don't know who's a genuine friend. Mm. Didn't like that. I'd rather be with the real people. Yeah. But you had a you had a passion for football, didn't you? That was like a dream. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Still am, you know. But yeah, I mean, talk about idolatry. You know, Dennis Law was my player, you know what I mean? And then he was picking me up for training, and I actually had my tag one season. I was next door to him, next to him. We get changed together in the morning, going for training, and I just had to pinch myself every morning. It was unreal. It's great. So how did that affect you? Because Ben, it was a massive idol for you that you'd, you'd uh, a lot of these lads had been training at Loughborough. Uh, you were working on a building site all day and training on a night in a, in a dirty little gym over the border in Middlesbrough. Uh, and then you were up there competing with some of the best that were training full time. And, and, and that dream of the 2012 Olympics of fighting there. Uh, explain a little bit about your dream to get there and then your opportunity to get there and, and, and why you never ended up there? Yeah, I think, like, I mean, for me, what happened over time is you start to get, like, you start to think um, so focused, like, it was an idol, you know, becoming an idol, like, this was my career, you know. This is, even though, like you said, I was doing a plumbing apprenticeship, so I'd, I'd, I'd uh, go and do a plumbing apprenticeship. I'd get changing these horrible bus, in this bus station toilets. It was horrible, it was it stunk. Absolutely stunk. I used to think the councils don't clean these toilets. You know, I used to go in there, quickly get changed, and then I'd walk. I'd run to the gym. I walk to the gym, um, and that was just went on and on and on. And then as I started to do better, I was thinking people like you say, other people at that level were uh, you know getting sponsored and whatever. I started to think right, you know, am I going to go for this? And and I sort of did. I thought right, yeah, let's let's go for it and see what happens. And it just like just. That was it. I, I, I planned. This is my career. This is where I want to go. Um, I was up there competing whether I was going to go to the 2012 Olympics, um, and then 
I didn't get the didn't get the nod, um, and then I started looking into maybe being able to box um, for my dad's sort of um, country, Nigeria, and I was off. I was I was offered to go over there, um, which was a bit mental. So I went. So I was offered by Repton, which is the most prestigious club. Um, in one of the most prestigious clubs in, in the world. I think it's been going since the Crays went there, Tom Hardy went there, Ray Winston, um, some well, well-known people went, went to Repton Boxing Gym. And then I was invited down to go to there. So I ended up going down there. And these I was obviously uh, a northerner, and they're all like uh, Cockney lads. So I goes in, goes down there, and the made me feel at home. Like, you know, give me a tracksuit and all that. And so listen, you know, I'm gonna go over there. Uh, the 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 Nigerian Federal Boxing Federation will have a look at you, and, and if they like what they'll see, you know, you you'll be able to go back and and, and to you know train for the for the 2012 Olympics. So I ended up going over there. What was what was it was definitely the Lord that you know he planned it. He orchestrated it because I hadn't seen my dad at that point for like it was like maybe. 12 years, something, something mad like that. Um, and spoke with or anything. And I just felt God saying, you know, I'd forgiven my father for not being there and stuff like that. And I felt God saying to me, giving me peace about going out there and, and, and just message my dad and just say, listen, dad, I'm going, I'm coming out to Nigeria. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to meet up with you. Um, so he was like, oh, really? Yeah. So anyway, it goes over there. And obviously, you just you treat like celebrities, really. We had the armed guards everywhere we went, um, you know, blue lights everywhere, you know, and we'd be escorted um, into this hotel. Our, uh, our, the vehicles would be getting checked for, I don't know, bombs or whatever. And then we went and stayed at this this proper fancy hotel. And uh, my dad came down and I was able to just say, look, Dad, I, I found the Lord, you know, Jesus has saved me. I was living like this. And, doing this way but God met me where I was and he changed me and I held a lot of anger towards you I just opened up and said look I forgive you um, and that just sparked man his relationship there was a lot of God done a lot of uh, reconciliation in that process anyway I boxed did well beat one of the Commonwealth lads one of the Nigerian lads who beat the Commonwealth Games beat him and then come back home and then I was doing this Christian Daniel challenge with uh, the Oakwood Centre um, and it was about giving a year to God so I come home I thought right I'm going to give a year to God but then I got a message off um, the Nigerian Box Federation saying look we want you to come out we want you to do some training um, and we're going to back you to go into the African nations and then go over to uh, you know competing in the Commonwealth and, and stuff like that and it was at that moment where I had a ch- choice really whether I go wherever I don't and I just prayed about it and I just felt I felt it wasn't right really I felt God saying to me you know uh, you know it's not where he wanted me so I stayed um, and then I, I met my wife um, and again I believe that was you know God God had a plan and a purpose um, and, and you know every sometimes you don't know at the time I didn't know why I was giving up boxing and then I sort of uh, you know met my wife and then I just knew I knew this is this is the path that God wants me to take. Um, yeah. So did you find that then, uh, do you have any pangs? Does, does it raise its head and think what would have happened? Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes it does, yeah. I mean, like, I, like I, at the time, and I was still thinking, should I go professional and all that? I, I never did. Um, but, 
yeah, like, I think, I don't know what it is, you want to just push yourself, don't you? But like, there's, like I say, there's people now on the, on the telly and that, and I watch the lads, uh, some of the lads who I was on the squads with, um, there's a couple of lads who, who were boxing, who, who I was on the squads with and that, and that's what I was keeping contact and, um, other people and that in in the boxing and they're doing well and I think I don't I never think oh could have that been me it's more like oh you know I wonder how far maybe I, I would have got but then you know what's more important to God is what's more important to me and it's not about being up there on a pedestal and, and I mean you know doing something I enjoy in that and God it's created me and give me these gifts to do you know that 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 was giving glory to him but at the same time you know. Raising a family, a God-fearing family, and, and and devoting your life to God for me was 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 more. God definitely took me through boxing to teach me discipline, getting up, reading my Bible, like getting up, going for a run, stuff like that. That that is embedded into me through boxing. You know, controlling my anger, just just having that release. Um, so so it's you know boxing has and boxing was a big part of my life. Do you know what I mean? Like. I've got boxing gloves here for the kids and that. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes like, I'll take them on it and that. And, yeah. Like, it's just because it teaches them so much. Sport teaches so, does so much good. You know, when Paul talks about, uh, he talks about, doesn't he? He mentions about not punching aimlessly. Um, and he refers to a sport, like, you know, he talks about boxing. And when he says about running, you know, he doesn't, he, he, so a lot of the stuff that he, well, not a lot of stuff, but some of the stuff, that um, comes out of the word of God, you know, you, you can see it, um, analogies from the sport and, and how that um, works. And um, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the sport and uh, the walk as a Christian is very much in parallel lines, very much so. Um, and you've got to make sacrifices as a Christian. Mm. And you've got to remember that narrow road is tough. Mm. Um, and it's very easy to jump on the wider road. You know, it's very easy to sort of fall in line with what the world wants. Mm. So you have to make a kind of disciplined choice to walk that narrow walk. Um, and the, but the, you know, the persevering, the training that you do, never giving up. Um, you know, you have your highs and you have your lows. You have to learn how to de deal with disappointments. And you get little blessings along the way. You've got to listen to your coach. <laughs> let's listen to Jesus mm. but you have to put it into practice that's the big thing you can uh, talk the talk but you've got to walk the walk and that's the hard part mm. um, you know and I trip up you know we all do Yeah, knowing that and um, it keeps you humble as well mm. so yeah the sport's terrific uh, that's why I'm a big believer it doesn't matter who you are you should be doing things to keep yourself fit active eat right you know you've been given a body look after it um, and I think a lot of young people need that sort of discipline mm. and you know you get a lot of rewards from it as well mm. so how have you been rewarded through your friendship with Ben because uh, <laughs> ben, ben you mentioned uh, that when you went to Nigeria you, you, you met up with your dad and uh, and then you were offered the opportunity to fight for Nigeria, but you turned it down, and uh, you ended up meeting your wife. You went to India instead, didn't you? And you met uh, yeah, yeah. Met, met your wife. And then the best wedding I've ever been to was your wedding. It was beautiful venue, beautiful weather, but I, I remember just sat in tears <laughs> during your speech 
And uh, for people who know me, I, I, I weep a lot. But uh, yeah, no, it was really special. And just some of the things that you put in your cards, especially the card that you sent to Eric about how he'd been like a father figure and, and, a, and a mentor to you. Uh, before we get on to how uh, the 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 blessings that you've had knowing him as a friend, it'd be interesting to hear Eric uh, the blessings that you had uh, being a good friend with with Ben. Not fault we're here in this scene. He's frozen again because he's he's so tight. He only spends a fiver on Wi-Fi. So <laughs> he tags into next door's Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> ben Coppers, you know what they're like. Which can to be it, can't it? Can you hear me now? All I right? can hear you now, mate. Couldn't you hear me before when I've been rambling on there? No, oh, no. <laughs> eh? We were mocking you, we couldn't hear you, so we just took the mic. All oh, right. <laughs> no, we're just saying that. <laughs> With the, my marriage breaking down, that shook me, but I tried to put that emotional energy into being a father figure to the lads I came across was dealing with in the place, you know? Mm. And uh, come across Ben, it was just a natural thing to do, try to guide him. I could see that he needed a few form truths, you know, and uh, just help him along. And he listened mm. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he also made me a good tennis player. That's what's one thing, you know? Oh, yeah, go on, start with that. rabbit. And, uh, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> that was an interesting sport. We sort of understood from that end the discipline that you needed. Mm. Um, because if we look in James, we're called to be uh, people as a, as Christians to look out for the widows and the fatherless. Uh, I, I set a charity up specifically working with the fatherless, looking to get mentors involved in encouraging uh, men in the church to, to mentor fatherless children and in particularly fatherless young young boys and men and and a lot of people see it as a chore or, or as an act but what we see with you is the perfect example of how there's like blessings on both sides isn't there because uh, although you were there to give uh, Ben a few home truths uh, he, he also upped your fitness level trying to beat you <laughs> in tennis <laughs> But but I just looking at you is like there's so many funny stories I can think of like when you were sharing a tent and uh, oh yeah, having <laughs> having uh, what was it fig rolls and and, and cups of tea marvelous yeah. marvelous yeah <laughs> simple things in life as it was no yeah it was good yeah like just stuff like simple stuff like that we went to the 2012 olympics down there didn't we eric yeah. and uh went to watch that in london um you know we used to go to prisons together um uh, every now and again eric likes me flicking his ears i don't know why he's a bit weird like that but <laughs> uh, when we first met we shared a tent together um which was, it was just funny. It was just funny. He was old and his back was hurting him all the time. And I just found it funny. <laughs> I was just like, I'm getting a great night's sleep. Every morning, he'd be like, oh, I'm back. You know what I mean? I'd have to help him up sometimes. Hey, hang on a minute. Yeah, I remember, <laughs> I thought, we're going camping. And I thought, I bet he doesn't bring a sleeping bag or something like yeah. that. I yeah, thought it was yeah. a mat to lie on, which he had. Yeah. So I'll give him my best mat and I struggle on the other one. <laughs> That's what Jesus would do. <laughs> <laughs> I read you like a book. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 what were some of the hassles you've had, like Eric? 
have you ever been pulled over by the police? Well, there, yeah, yeah. The, the classic one. Oh, this isn't fair. Yeah, yeah. We were driving down a, a, a difficult road to negotiate in Stockton, and I was trying to get in this certain lane, and he starts flicking my ear when I'm driving. If anybody's listening to this, Ben has a habit of flicking everybody's ear from when he was a baby about one year, about two years previous. <laughs> And he's flicking me here, and I'm saying, get off breath, Ben. And I'm looking to try and jump out into this lane. I just jumped out quickly behind this bus, got to the difficult junction, negotiated it, and then a blue light flashes behind us and pulls us up. <laughs> Having a go at me pulling out like I did, you know, and I was trying to explain to him. Anyway, he let me off the bobby, and uh, I jumped in the car, and I just bit his ear off. I said, you know, <laughs> bit his ear off. He said, don't you ever do that to me again. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Then you, of course, you just it's a big laugh, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. I reckon, I reckon that's one of the blessings I've been to Eric Lake. I think he, when he once he met me, he chilled out. That's what you know. I, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's not in my life, actually. I always meet. It's like a double act wherever I go. I come across a character like you. you just bounce <laughs> off one another. <laughs> I remember just after that had happened, we were, we were meeting in the pub, and, and Eric walks in fuming, absolutely <laughs> livid, and uh, tells us a story. And you're stood there, and then you just let go over and tickled his ear and went, Chill out, Eric. The other one, we were going in a school, mentioned the kids, we get one on one of these kids, me and him the ones who were having difficulties at school and being disobedient and everything like that. And Ben's going around flicking, the, flicking there he is. <laughs> and I'm, they're looking at him, carrying on. I thought, I don't know who I'm mentoring here, him or you. Mate, you should see me at work. I still do it at work now. Yeah. People just look at me. Yeah. I can't believe, I can't believe you. <laughs> you're still in employment, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, I've not right. You say that he's done well, the lad, hasn't he? He's done well. He's done all right, haven't I? Well, this is it. You see, mentors, good mentors, you see. Yeah. Not over yet, though. Uh, mate, I'm, I'm, on, I'm going places. I'm going places. So so what is it you're doing now, Ben? Um, so, yeah, so, like, what I do now is I, I flick people's ears professionally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, work for, I work for the NHS um, as a... Surgeon. Yeah, he's a patient. Are you a patient? Yeah. Are you a surgeon? Um, are you? Are you? Um, just like, are you? He's saying hello. He's saying hello. Hello. <laughs> just let out the cupboards. <laughs> um, I bet you could tell a few stories. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, you could, yeah. So, are you finished? Finished right, so yeah. So, um, what was I saying there? Lost my train of thought. How about your new job? Oh, my job, yeah. So, I work in the uh mental health hospital, um, <laughs> probably not right for me, like in there. <laughs> <laughs> Just let me out, is it? Uh, no, so yeah, I work there with um, doing maintenance. I did it because I did a, a mechanical apprenticeship when I was younger, and then um, I went, I went there. Um, for the NHS, I've been there for about about eight years. But in there, I've become um, 
God, you know, God's taught me through the boxing. God's taught me through life. You know, being around yourselves and that. Um, you know, I, I, I was able to, to do well and, and progress, uh, progress um, in there. And I've just gone back to college to build an HNC, which I'd never ever go back and do. College. Who thought? I mean, I did I left school with no qualifications. Um, you spell fudge with my grades, um, and. I've ended up going back to college. It's mad, isn't it? Uh, getting an HNC. So yeah, but now like I'm, I'm in. Uh, you know, I, look, I supervise. Uh, you know, engineers, uh, electrical, mechanical uh, builders, and I've got a team of about 50, 50 uh, of all ages and all sizes and characters. Um, so yeah, but I, you know, it's a good job. I enjoy it. It's a good people. Um, shared my faith numerous times and supported uh, many of the lads through uh, the hard times that they've been going through. Um, but yes, no, I enjoy it, really, really enjoy it. But who'd have thought, you know, who'd have thought of that? So what do you think, what, what, what do you think is like the biggest lesson that the church can learn then regarding discipleship for men from our background? <laughs> Because, well, like, Eric, it's interesting. A lot of people say, oh, we're working class. We grew up on a council estate. But, like, you recognise growing up on a council estate in the 60s is completely different to growing up in the in the 90s, never mind growing up today. I think it's even it's even harder today. Uh, so what lessons could be learned by the church for discipleship with, with, with young men and women from our estates? Yeah, I think for me, like, I, so I went to a middle, I ended up going up, First church that I went to was a middle class church, and it was a bit weird actually because I went in there. It was all white, all white people. Uh, few there was a few Africans in there as well, African part of the congregation, but mainly predominantly white doctors, nurses. You know what I mean? And now at that time, I was like a, a, a youth off a off a council estate, rough, rough and ready, and it was a bit weird because it, it it sort of stirred loads of. Uh, fear or anxiety or I don't know because they were different and I thought they wouldn't judge me and stuff but um, in time I realised oh no you know they just want to love me but you know I think that I think that your church should reflect um, you know the people you're trying to meet really Um, and I think um, at the time in the church there wasn't many people I could relate to and I didn't think they got me um, you know, but over time, you know, they did and, and they wanted what's best for me and they loved me and Peter Conroy was a great mentor as well, you know, he was very um, close. So I, um, I don't know, it's a tough one, what, what what do we think the church can learn about? I just think about, you know, the church is inclusive, isn't it? And I think, um, I don't know, I just think having people similar can can help, but then also having people who aren't from that same background, they still have. One thing I learned was, you know, there's people there who've got mum and dads, and they've still their kids have still had, you know, um, mm. you know, they're different. He's different, totally different to mine, but they've still had, had their difficulties. Um, yeah, I think you've got to be real with people. Um, you know, the people you. You know, there's more broken families now, and I saw very early on that young young men definitely need a father figure. Mm. And uh, this screen frozen again. 
Yeah, but I'm here. You can hear me all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you need a father figure, and I think being real with them, and when they know that you genuinely care, mm. and you can't fool some of these people, you know, you can play at it, but if you really try to get to know them and show that you're really trying to care, but there's also a point where you've got to just walk away from some people because they can end up dragging you down. Mm. You know, that first of all, that person has to be willing to change. Mm. You know, and you can get someone that will come along and they want to get as much out of you as they can, but they're not seriously thinking of changing. And you have to recognise that. And uh, sometimes comes a point, sometimes you can only do so much. But you can't do anything. It's God, really. They have to have that willingness. And you can only, but as I say, sow the seeds into their lives. And it's whether they react to that or not. We all have that choice. And you persevere to a point, I think. I always remember hearing uh, Jackie Pullinger when she came over to speak, the woman that works in Hong Kong with the drug addicts, and she... And she has some of the addicts that have come over to Christianity with her. <clears throat> and she said when they take these lads in, she said they treat them like babies for six weeks. And then after that, they more or less start releasing them and saying, you're on your own now. It sounded like tough love, but it's what you have to do. You can't be spoon-feeding them all the time, and you've got to steer them in the right direction but it's up to them then to to if they're willing enough it's possible mm. and it's just trying to get to realize that you're just trying to guide them on the right path it's like what we're seeing is like genuine relationships genuine friendships it's not like you're there as a social worker to fix somebody yeah. you're there to w- walk alongside them aren't you and, and, it, and it's a mutual thing like we've seen there's like a mutual friendship between you both, there's mutual blessing, uh, mutual respect, and you both can like uh, speak into each other's lives. Uh, yeah. yeah. Whether it's, it's like my spot. Ben cheering you up. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is. But I mean, if you hadn't, it, with, with the sport, you know, I mean, I could have gone, probably done a lot more with it, yeah. but I probably would never have found God like I have. Yeah, yeah. And when I was just taught out today, walking with a friend and talking and, I'd looked up a couple of people I knew from the Australia days and what they're doing. And they've, they've been all over doing different football things. And I was thinking, oh, I could have been doing that and more. Mm. But then I thought, I would never, I'd rather be where I am, mm. knowing who I know now. And uh, makes life all the more worthwhile, what mm. you're doing. Yeah, man. Well, I'd, lo- I'd love to have you both on and uh, just, just see your testimonies, how you both came to faith uh, in more depth. So, uh, that, that's something for the future. I'll get you on individually, but it's been great chatting with you both. Plenty uh, of stories about we can tell about you as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I, I can think of one right now. <laughs> how, to, how, to, how to take a tent down? <laughs> ambulance, it's an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know anyone else who stabbed themselves through the palm of the hand taking the tent down. <laughs> <laughs> you remember when you ripped your bicep? Yeah. 